if Jesus was a model and he took time to emote, it is okay for us to take time and room and space to have emotions and to have feelings, right? Where he's the model we're following and if he can do it, so can we. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. everybody. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I am Matt Burke, one of your co-hosts, along with Abby Miller. Hey, Abby. Hey, y'all. Glad you're here with me today. Glad to be here. And we're going to be talking about mental health today. So our guests today are Aaron and Janelle Lane, which we'll introduce and talk about and to them in a little bit. But as we start off the conversation, Abby, where have you seen mental health showing up in your work with congregations? I've seen it come up in pastors coming to us and asking what kind of resources are out there to address mental health within their congregants because they're seeing a rise in people struggling with mental health. And so I see that. I also see the pastors who they themselves are struggling with mental health. And so they're wondering what's out there. And so on both sides, if you will, there's a need that is being voiced in congregations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the good news is, I think there are a lot of resources out there. So as you'll hear both in the interview, those of you who are listening, you'll hear in the interview and in the segment at the end, there's a lot of resources that we'll highlight. And these are just the tip of the iceberg. So there's a lot out there for mental health, even specifically for clergy, but also just the folks in your congregation. And yeah, I've had the same kind of thing with mental health in people reaching out and number one, an awareness that the need is on the rise. And two, a lot of leaders beginning to understand that there is a limit to how much they can handle or how much they can deal with in terms of mental health. And there are times where it needs to move more into the professional realm or the professional sphere. And I think that's a good thing. And that's also Mm -hmm. one of the things that we'll get to in the interview. So we had a pretty lengthy interview with our guests for today. So we'll go ahead and get to that. And I want to introduce you to Janelle Lane, who has a Master of Arts and is also a licensed mental health counselor. And her husband, Aaron Lane, who has a Master of Science in Organizational Leadership and a Master's in Social Work. And they are the co-founders of Courageous Healing, which is a mental health practice here in Fort Wayne. So we hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we enjoyed having the conversation. Next up is Aaron and Janelle Lane. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We are here with Aaron and Janelle Lane, the co-founders of Courageous Healing in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Aaron and Janelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. No, we're excited to talk to you because we know that you are practitioners in the mental health industry, but also very committed to congregational life. And the center has done a pretty heavy focus consistently over the last probably 18 months on mental health because we're seeing that pop up in our work a lot. But I'm interested in starting the conversation with how the two of you kind of got involved in the mental health industry and the mental health field, just kind of sharing your personal story of what brought you along this way. Sure. 
I think for us, it's all about community and relationship. And as we've navigated doing community work in many different sectors, as we've navigated our own personal relationships with families, with friends, one thing that we often notice is there's a lot of trauma happening around us all the time. There's a lot of relational issues, a lot of different things that are happening in our lives. And there's not always been places where individuals feel comfortable going or feel safe going to talk to individuals about their problems and the things they may have navigated in life. So I think through our journeys of navigating those things, it became evident to us that, as Janelle would say, when she was in her schooling, there has to be a better way. Mm. We'll talk about that here and can give you some more insight on that. But we didn't know there had to be a better way. We didn't know all of what it looked like, per se. Mm-hmm. But we knew that there was something that needed to be done. And I think that's kind of how courageous healing over time came to be what it is today. We both grew up inner city in an area of town where there were lots of barriers to everyday life, I'll say. Kind of the part of town where it's the most densely populated, but also the most densely populated with barriers and challenges and from a food deserts to high infant mortality rates, etc. So we grew up in community kind of watching things that we realized were maladaptive or that we questioned in our mind if this was normal or is there a healthier way to handle these situations. And so I think both of us had this natural curiosity. When you see so many problems, it's hard not to be solution focused and to kind of try to brainstorm different potential strategies or solutions. So that curiosity was born pretty early for both of us. And then I think like that's when I first kind of got that whisper from God nudging me like there has to be a better way, right? Mm -hmm. But then we fast forward kind of going through school. Once I got into my graduate program and was really looking at, you know, learning all the different theories and techniques and ways to practice mental health, there were a lot of questions that I had and not a lot of answers to the questions. And so I think that kind of developed this curiosity around the intersection between culture and mental health services being provided and around spirituality and mental health services being provided. Because when I would ask the questions, instead of being able to give direct answers, it would oftentimes just you know, stimulate lots of conversation where we were all asking the questions and brainstorming and strategizing, you know, unique and innovative strategies for connecting all these things. And so again, God whispered, there has to be a better way. So then fast forward, we got out into like, because we went to school, we had these different life journeys, different paths. But when we got together and we're both working in community and lots of different community sectors, all of our work has really surrounded people and working with people in some type of way those questions just persisted and it just got the urge to be solution focused and to find answers and to be part of the healing and part of the answer, I would say just became stronger. And again, it was, there has to be a better way. And then God pulled us deeper and deeper into this work. And we've kind of spent our life's journey and our whole career path in these arenas, just trying to problem solve deep systemic issues that we've seen impact people groups. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the overlap between spirituality and mental health. Can you say more about that? Sure. I think for so long, like it's been looked at as though they were separate things. Like mind, body, spirit is oftentimes how it's discussed as though they're separate when they're all so connected. You know, like we do a lot of work where we're trying to educate people on the fact that your head is connected to your body. Right. So it's not your physical health and your mental health. It is your health. 
right? And your spiritual being is so much a part of just who you are as a person. You can't really separate out your spiritual life and your physical health or your mental health and your spiritual life, right? It's all connected. And so we've seen, you know, so many people who have experienced church hurt where they're navigating mental health challenges or different crises that, you know, different traumas that their family is going through and being told that they need to pray it away or that it is like a representation of a lack of faith if they have anxiety, right? And, you know, there's lots of biblical accounts throughout scripture of people who experienced anxiety and people who experienced depression and hopelessness and suicidal thoughts and all types of things. So it's not a separate part of your being. It's all very connected. And I think educating on that, sadly, it's necessary to educate on that because whether intentional or unintentional, there has been some things that have happened over decades that have forced people to feel as though they are separate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think for me, as Janelle has kind of alluded to, you have to almost break it down into different parts, especially when you're talking about the spirituality nature of things. One, you have to first define for individuals what mental health is, right? Because of how mental health has been depicted, a lot of times when people think about mental health, they think, you know, it's only for individuals who are crazy or they have to be receive inpatient services or they're locked away. When really mental health is on a spectrum of how are you feeling today, right? We often talk about this in a lot of trainings that we do. You could be feeling great at one moment and then something happens and you spiral, right? And you need to see a therapist or you need medication and so things. So it's really on a spectrum of figuring out and understanding where you are with your mental health on any given day. So I think normalizing that piece. But then again, as Janelle alluded to, many individuals who are spiritual in nature or who have grown up in the church, they need biblical accounts of when these things are true. Right. They need that burden of proof. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can go into the scriptures and into the Bible and give many accounts of when Jesus wept, right? The ultimate example of when Jesus wept himself. And when he took space and time to grieve his friend Lazarus, even though he had the power and even though he knew Lazarus was going to rise again, he took time and space, if you will, in order to grieve. So I think being able to point out those biblical accounts, being able to educate on what mental health is, starts to bring down those walls, especially within the church, and make it more of a a conversation that can be had. Yeah, so I'm curious about that with mental health and congregations. Aaron, some of the very specific biblical references you were just mentioning had to do with grief, loss, lament, things like that. And in the faith tradition that I grew up in, it's almost like we didn't want to touch those things. In fact, you know, on Good Friday, we were already thinking about celebration of the resurrection, but that's not really what Good Friday is supposed to be about, right? It's almost this discomfort with bad feelings. Does that resonate with what you're talking about? Is that a factor in kind of congregations maybe not wanting to deal with mental health because it's a subject like that and not something that's more triumphant and something that's like already fixed? Yeah. I can just share a very personal experience that I had. Because I speak very matter-of-factly about mental health things and because I'm very direct in the way that I speak about it, but also very keep it real in my approach, I have seen too many clients that have experienced church hurt and now are trying to figure out where they are in their relationship with God because of the people issues that have taken place and happened in church Mm -hmm. or them feeling judged or condemned because they feel like they're grieving or they're going through, you know, some anxiety or some depression and they felt judged instead of supported and walked through those things. Like there was an instance where I was speaking at a conference, a church conference, and it was a smaller conference and it was a very specific population, but I was sharing about church hurt and I was sharing about 
trends and patterns that I'm seeing in people who are pulling away from the church because of these things and how heavy the last couple of years have been for all of us to where from a COVID standpoint, we all live through this like collective trauma, whether feeling directly impacted or indirectly impacted is left like a heaviness and a confusion and sometimes can stir up old traumas for a lot of people, for most of us. And so mental health is touching everybody's doorstep, whether somebody directly in your home or one of your you know, distant relatives, we're all walking through this together. So I speak about that heaviness. And there was someone who came up after me and felt the need to provide hope and to be uplifting because many of the people throughout the room were weeping as I was talking. And I felt like they needed it to end on a positive note so that everybody left with hope. Mm. They couldn't handle the heaviness of the lamenting of the, you know, hurt and different things that people were experiencing and going through. So then they came up behind me and then they talked about the light, the love, how Jesus calls us to look towards the future and just all these different things that I felt like minimize the message that I had because my message that I was giving is that it's okay to not be okay and that there is room and space and grace for grieving and for crying and for, you know, lamenting and for just getting it out. You know, like if Jesus was the model and he took time to emote, it is okay for us to take time and room and space to have emotions and to have feelings, right? Where he's the model we're following and if he can do it, so can we. And so then I needed to come behind this person again and to reiterate that message because I didn't want to leave that body of, you know, attendees with the wrong messaging because we've accidentally done that in our attempts to take care of people emotionally. We don't want people to be heavy. We don't want them to be, you know, crying or to feel sad. We want them to have light and to have hope. And so in our attempts to keep them in those spaces, we've robbed them of the ability to be whole and to have your emotional health and your spiritual health and your mental health be aligned because we've almost accidentally said to people in indirect ways, that in order to be a good follower, right, in order to be a Christ-like person, right, you need to be positive and full of faith all the time. And that was not the intended message. Instead, we were trying to help, but sometimes we accidentally hurt. Sure. Yeah. And I've heard two terms. And if you are familiar with these terms and use these terms, you would know better than I, but I've heard of terms called spiritual bypassing which sounds like that's kind of what you're describing. And also the idea of spiritual trauma. Are those terms that are from your field and that you're aware of? Yeah. I think for me, when it comes to the spiritual trauma aspect of things, I think that's what we, you know, when we refer to church hurt, dealing with the trauma that they navigate within the church, again, dealing with individuals and people and how the word is used to convict them, condemn them, and things of that nature that they have to navigate and go through. I myself, I'm not familiar with the concept or terminology of spiritual bypass. But if you want to speak to that. No, I haven't heard that term very often in the field. To me, what it sounds like, spiritual bypassing sounds like just using your spiritual beliefs and your spiritual life to bypass any feelings or emotions or anything that actually come up. And pretty much, I think that is what we were discussing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded familiar to me because I think I've heard that term before. And yeah, it's that stepping around the emotional distress and just trying to claim the future hope (laughs) instead of dealing with what's happening in the present. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's so important for congregational leaders 
to understand exactly what you're talking about, Janelle, that people have experienced that. We'll just get over it. You know, we have an ultimate hope and making sure that congregational leaders either A, are aware that maybe that's happening in their own congregation or B, there are people who might be coming to their congregation who had that past experience who need a different way of handling their emotions and handling their distress. And let me just say, here is why that is important. And I think it's important that we speak about this because we get this experience on such a daily, regular basis. And I think Mm -hmm. friends of mine who are in, I won't say in ministry, I'll say who are directly working for congregations, don't always get this experience. There is such rich healing that takes place in the affirmation and the safe space of holding the emotion, right? Just creating the safety of a space where people can actually finally admit things to themselves that have been really hard to say, where they can release pent up emotion, aggression, anger, frustration, disappointment, and just have another person affirm that those feelings are real and those feelings are justified. Right. And that you're not alone in that experience is so healing and therapeutic that it's almost like a way of releasing all of that negativity that has been stored that they've been carrying and trying to pray their way through. But it's causing this like this disconnect or a lack of alignment within their different aspects of their health. Right. So to just create that safety and to watch them be able to have that affirming experience. And we're not big on diagnoses. Like we don't like to jump straight to diagnosing someone. But there are many instances where they come in, they say, I'm experiencing this and I'm experiencing that and this and that. And they're naming all these things like they're going through so many different issues and different problems. But they don't realize all those different things are all symptoms of one diagnosis Mm -hmm. and that it is real and that you're not the only one with this diagnosis and that there are ways to treat it. Right. There's so much hope in making it all make sense and realizing, okay, maybe maybe I'm not broken. Maybe what I'm experiencing is a real thing and there are solutions to it. Right. And so I think we miss those opportunities when we don't acknowledge that what people are feeling or navigating is real and is justified. For me, I think the hope and the healing comes when you can bring all those things together. Right. Some of my best sessions come when individuals can walk into my space or to my office and one we have a safe space where they feel seen and valued, where they feel heard and affirmed and we can pray. Right. Mm-hmm. And we bring it all full circle. And now they feel one, again, as Janelle said, they feel validated, they feel affirmed, they feel safe, they feel like someone understands them and they have God right there with them in it, right? Mm -hmm. How do we bring all of it together instead of trying to isolate the different aspects of it? Well, and like kind of to add to that, I think we, I won't speak for him, I, I will say I, have had an interesting journey with coming to terms with the fact that we are in ministry. I've never saw myself in ministry or thought I was entering into ministry. We've always done people work. We've always been super spiritual. We've always had a strong connection and relationship with God, gone to church, been active and things like that. But I never considered myself and the work that we do as ministry until I would say the last maybe five plus years. It was Mm -hmm. a slow coming to terms Mm -hmm. with it for me. But we have a real opportunity here to allow people to experience Christianity or experience the work of God or experience, you know, what it means to do spiritual life with someone by just living it out. 
right? Because when you go to church, you expect to have the word be taught to you, right? You expect to learn, you expect the teaching. And yes, you have community, but you go for the message, you go for the worship, you go for this part. When you come here, it's relationship, mm-hmm. right? And we had mm-hmm. someone from our board that pointed out to us once before, what he said was, God is going to bless the work that you guys are doing because you're in his business. And we were like, what do you mean by that? Like we're in his business. And he said, well, think about what his work was, right? He was in the business of healing. Mm -hmm. And so the work that you're doing is his line of work, right? And we're very clear and and we're clear with people. We aren't the healers, right? By any means, like as therapists, we are not the healers but he uses people all throughout scripture to facilitate healing, mm-hmm. right? He can directly do it, but he uses people oftentimes to do his work, you know? And so we have the honor of being able to journey with people through their healing journeys and to be used to facilitate the healing. And there are more experiences than I can even know where it's very clear that the Holy Spirit kind of comes over us or is ministering through us because we don't even know what we're saying. And it's so yeah. powerful. We're experiencing this ministry moment with the clients. And we get to do it in a way as individuals, but also as a team that's, you know, non-judgmental, right? From a place of curiosity, from a place of understanding and just wanting to help and serve people, right? And that's what we want individuals to feel. That's what Christ makes you feel when you come into his presence, right? Mm-hmm. Our job is not to condemn individuals. The Holy Spirit will convict them. Right. That's not our job. Our job is to love people and to help people and then to allow Christ to do the work through his healing process in their lives as well. Yeah. And on that note, you guys are the trained professionals. You guys are the ones who are on the ground doing the work. Oftentimes, pastors are asked to do everything. So they're preaching, they're going to hospital rooms and visiting with people. They're doing some form of counseling in their office. They're doing some admin work. So they're asked of to do a lot. Mm-hmm. In your experience, when does a pastor know when it's time to hand off to you all, to the trained professionals who do this day in and day out when someone's in their office? I think this is a really tough question to answer because more often than not, I would say that by the time that it is passed off to us, it's the really severe situation, the mm-hmm. really severe mm-hmm. cases. And mental health, like many other things, just like any physical health issue that you have, is easier to treat when there's early intervention, right? So the longer you wait to treat something, it kind of increases in its intensity and difficulty or like resistance to treatment. There's kind of like levels to different diagnoses. And a lot of times things don't get to us until they're in those higher level diagnoses or those more resistant to treatment types of diagnoses. And so by that point, oftentimes there's medication or sometimes hospitalization or, you know, people who are actively suicidal and having a hard time keeping themselves safe. Like those are the times where people know, okay, we need to we need to refer them out to a trained professional. But there's lots of other times where it's appropriate to refer out For example, the work that we do here at our facility is culturally centered and trauma informed, right? So if there are situations in which a member or someone that's a part of your congregation is experiencing issues where they don't feel as though they have cultural spaces where they can process things, or maybe they've gone through a trauma, a sexual assault, 
you know, they've witnessed someone die or almost die. They've got some grief that is really resistant to healing and praying. And it's, they feel like they've been stuck in their grief for years, right? Because there are different types of grief. There's like grief and then there is traumatic grief, right? So with traumatic grief, oftentimes the grief feels like it gets stuck because the trauma has not yet been processed. So you kind of get stuck with the trauma, which keeps the grief feeling like it's open, right? So there are situations like that where a trained professional, someone who works in trauma work, would be able to quickly address with the client so that they can get into the normal process of grieving, right? So there's lots of instances, and I do think training and education for pastors on mental health issues and when it is appropriate to refer out is beneficial, yeah. And I think I'll start at even the, the ground level of things when you ask that question. For me, it starts with that individual pastor knowing, one, do they believe that you can have Jesus and therapy, right? Mm-hmm. That a core and firm belief for them that they believe, because if they don't believe that therapy is a tool to help facilitate healing, and if there's someone that believes that you, all you need to do is have faith and pray it away, that right there is going to stop them from making a necessary referral. Right. Mm-hmm. If they get past that part and they do believe you can have, you know, Jesus and therapy and, and they're, they're advocates for going to counseling, then it comes down to, OK, what are my trained skills and the things that I am well versed in that I can help you with from a church or a pastoral standpoint? But then what are those things that, as Janelle mentioned, the trauma, the cultural aspect that that I'm not well versed in or that I don't have the knowledge base to lead you in the right direction? Then I know I can guide you to the right people and places, right? As an elder in my current church, you know, our pastor is surrounded by phenomenal people, right? And I think sometimes the people you surround yourself with are kind of the individuals that help you see those blind spots, mm-hmm. right? Of knowing when and how to guide people in the right direction and when they should be referred out for services that the church and the pastoral administration team can't navigate on their own. And here's what I think makes it hard. I think what makes it challenging is take the pastor hat off for a second and just put the people hat on, right? As a person, it is really hard for all of us to assess where our limitations lie, especially in helping professions. So we are all in these fields and professions Because we care deeply about people, we feel we have a responsibility to have an active role in problem solving and, you know, addressing systemic issues that take place and societal issues like we actively deeply care. And so when someone brings an issue to us, our tendency is to help and to do whatever is within our means to help, to assist. It's hard for us to know when the help that they're needing is outside of our scope and to be able to have enough self-awareness and discernment to assess accurately, am I really the right person to answer this question? Am I skilled enough in this area to provide the right answer? Or am I someone that feels like I always need to provide the answer when I'm asked, right? Do I have a people-pleasing part of my personality that makes me want to always find the right answers? Because even when we work with teachers, there's oftentimes where education professionals or teachers don't know the answer to things, but because a student is asking, they feel responsible for knowing things, right? And so then they feel like they have to give an answer when sometimes the best answer that you can give is, you know what? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Let's find the answer to that because it helps empower the student or helps empower the parishioner or whatever it is. So it's really interesting that you asked that question because as I just mentioned, as an elder in the church, one of our questions that we asked during our elder search 
or even when we hire associate pastors and so forth is at the end of church, when we call individuals down for prayer and you're standing up there and someone comes up and they're basically unloading on you. I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with, with this and that and da, da, da. And they're basically releasing their trauma onto you. How do you handle that? Right. What do you do in that moment? Because what we know to be true is, as Janelle said, the instant thought is you have to have the right answer. You have to start spilling out these. You should do this and do that. Where one, that's not the time and the place. But two, you may not be equipped to handle it. So the best thing for you to do is bring other individuals in or pray with them and say, let me help guide you and lead you to the right person. So that is something that I feel like that's a question that more individual, more pastors and church congregations as a whole should be asking their leadership is, you know, how do we handle these things when our church aren't equipped to deal with issues and problems that are presented just within the church body? Yeah, and I think things are changing. You know, I think like over time, I would say long ago, pastors were the go-to for everything. Mm -hmm. So they had to be all things to all people. So even without, you know, having a massive schooling experience, or I would say that without getting the knowledge or the training for mental health and mental health care, there's some, you mentioned it in school, they receive some of it, they get some training, but without going to school for this as a profession, they've had to figure out ways to answer those questions and to be those things to people. So it makes it really hard to know now when you can give that hat to someone else or when is the right time to refer that person out. And I would say we are growing as a field and as a profession, especially right now, because we're all facing a mental health crisis post-COVID, you know, that there's a lot of efforts to continue to grow therapists and accessibility for mental health care. So times are changing. So I think education, also making pastors aware of the resources that are out there and how to make those referrals is important. Yeah. And on that note, and I think you may have stated this, there are two different motivating factors for pastors that leads to them maybe overstepping their bounds as far as their education and understanding of mental health is concerned and practicing that with their congregation. And I think one, like you said, is that internal want to help. But I think the other thing is the external expectation from the congregation that you are all things to me. Mm -hmm. I credit my pastor in that whenever the topic of mental health comes up, he says, I'm a great listener. I will listen to whatever you have to say, but I'm also going to give you a number to a therapist probably. Mm -hmm. And I credit him for that because he knows his boundaries. He knows that though he can listen well, he's not schooled in all things mental health. Mm -hmm. So he's going to refer out. So I do think there's that dual thing going on. And I think like just as a business owner, I would say starting a nonprofit from the ground up, there's so many different things we've had to learn how to do. Even working in different jobs in corporate America and working in helping professions, you gain these different tools and these different skills, you know, throughout the course of your career. And so mm-hmm. what I'm learning in this season of being a business owner, though, is that just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something, right? Right, And so because we have the skills or ability to do something, having the right people in the right seats and having the right partners and community supporters that we can ask to wear certain hats takes that pressure off of us from being bogged down by wearing that hat, which frees us up to wear other hats. Although many pastors have had to be all things to all people and serve in counseling, you know, arenas. 
it doesn't mean they still have to. And so if they choose to and they have the skills, by all means do. But we are here as a resource and a hat that you can unload. And what I find is when you can unload that hat and you give it to someone, they're able to build it out far beyond your wildest imagination and take it and run with it. And it becomes mm-hmm. so much more vast and so much more detailed, right? Because us wearing multiple hats, we don't realize we're limited in what we can do with each of them. So being able to give it to someone and have them build it out, you know, allows them to grow and to flourish, whatever that thing is. So we've been able to take a piece of what counseling can be offered and to go very detailed in our training, in our tools and our strategies, in our approach. And so again, we become experts. I don't even like to refer to ourselves as experts because we're all learning with people as we're helping people learn. So, and we're here as a resource. Yeah. And I think a part of this might also be generational. So if my pastor is saying that to a a congregation of various ages and generations, the older generation might say, why can't we just talk to you? You're easier to talk to because they know them, they have access to them. The thought of going to a therapist is kind of out of their box or intimidating maybe. Whereas for a younger generation, we're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Because we're just more open to it. It's more common today than it was back even 10 years ago. So I think there's a generational element to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we come towards the end of our time here, Aaron and Janelle, I would love to kind of finish out on what is maybe one key piece of advice from each of you for a pastor, congregational leader, someone who's part of a care team. What's one key piece of advice that they can take another step in the direction of being a place where people can really come to find good flourishing for their mental health? Yeah, I think for me, it's understanding that compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma is real. Mm. I think it's important for individuals within the church, pastors, care teams, and supporting members to understand that compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, which is also known as secondary trauma, which is where you may not experience something personally or yourself, but just by hearing the trauma of other individuals on an ongoing basis, by being close in proximity to someone who has gone through something tough, you feel it and you can live it. And when we hear about these things and we help people navigate these things, we don't go home and just turn it off. These are the things that keep us up at night. And that's how, again, from a compassion fatigue standpoint, we start to not be able to help or care for as many people because it's weighing on us heavy and all these things. So I think just understanding that that stuff is real and that sometimes you have to help yourself before you can help others is also important. And just to know that there's a team of individuals, a village of individuals that are right outside or within, I'll say within your reach as counselors, therapists, social workers, and so forth that are willing to come into churches and be a support team and system for your direct team, but also for your congregants as well. I would just say to go along with that piece, I had two things that came to mind. One was from a self-care standpoint, we recently had to speak We were doing some work with the staff of the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts. And one of the staff members asked, in this season, as mental health therapists, what are you guys doing for your own self-care? Right. And it wasn't an atypical question. We get that question a lot. But I think my way of processing in that moment was unique to me because of who we were, because of the audience. And I equated 
our self-care practices right now have to be the same types of practice that the athletes have, like as often as the athletes are training in order to be able to show up for the game, we are having to practice self-care as mental health providers during this post-COVID era, right? Because right now, the strain and the stress on families, on marriages, on individuals is so intense and is so heavy that we as providers from a self-care standpoint, if we don't take it seriously and really try to make sure we're taking care of ourselves, and this is pastors and congregation and small group leaders included, right? We will all burn out. There will be a massive burnout. And research is showing that therapists are leaving the field at astronomical numbers, Mm. right? And so I would imagine it probably mirrors very closely to what's happening for pastors and people who have been doing this work for a long time, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing. The other thing that came to mind is just a tip of one of the questions you asked is how do you know when you should refer someone? Some things to look for, I would say, is anytime a person who you're working with says that they feel stuck, right? If they feel stuck in their grief, if they feel stuck with their anxiety, it's not getting better no matter what they do. If they feel stuck in depression, if they feel stuck in their marriage dynamics, right? then that would be a good indication that they may be experiencing some trauma or like a trauma blockage. And there are different techniques like EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing that are very effective in getting people unstuck. And so, you know, I would say that's a good time to refer people is if you hear them saying things like that, or even if you're working with a couple and you as the pastor, as the church leader, congregation leader, feel like this person you're working with has been stuck here for a while and you're not making progress, it will probably be beneficial to refer them out to someone that understands mental health, but also trauma specifically. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Janelle. So where can folks follow you and your work? I know you have a specific website, which we'll post in the show notes, but are there social media outlets or other places where people can find you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook from a social media standpoint. And we have a pretty active social media following and we update a lot of things on there. We like to keep people in the loop and we like to do a lot of -of out-of-the-box things to represent what healing looks like. Mm -hmm. Courageous Healing Inc. for most of them. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're up in the northeast part of Indiana, please feel free to reach out to Aaron and Janelle for any kind of training or questions that you have around mental health. And again, they're at Courageous Healing. We'll add their website to the show notes, as well as their social media presence. Aaron and Janelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for what you do. It truly is a ministry and it's so important. And I'm so glad to know that you're here in the community that I live in doing your good work. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. And Matt and Abby, thank you for all that you do as well and continuing these messages and promoting the good work that uh, community partners are doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was Aaron and Janelle Lane. That was a fun conversation. I tell you what, I enjoy them as people and I enjoy talking about therapy with them and mental health stuff. So it was just fun. Although based on some of the subject matter, I question your definition of fun, but I guess Mm -hmm. we'll just roll with it. (laughs) To each their own. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I do enjoy them and I enjoy their work in the Fort Wayne area. 
what stuck out to you, Matt? So I think one of the phrases that they kept repeating is there's got to be a better way. And that came across initially in the context of them just being a part of the community where they were raised. But then as they continued to talk about as they advanced through life and there has to be a better way. And I just really, really appreciated that focus that life doesn't have to be as difficult as it seems. Mm -hmm. I think just even speaking for myself, as I've aged and done therapy, I've found a lot of things that I could have probably fixed a lot earlier in life and could have saved myself a lot of drama Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a lot of problems. And I think sometimes we get stuck in our own heads and stuck in our own traumas and tragedies from the past. And don't realize that it can be better. But I appreciate their focus and emphasis on it absolutely can be and that they've devoted themselves to that. Mm -hmm. What about you? What stood out to you? I absolutely love that their work is in mental health therapy, but they're also very connected to the church. And I love that they are bringing mental health therapy to the church. And there are people who... At one time, I think in congregations at large, there was definitely a stigma around receiving help for your mental health. And there are definitely, I feel like, people who are paving the way and really pioneering what it looks like for the church to address these issues. Mm -hmm. So I really just appreciated all of our conversation, but seeing how their work is affecting congregations. Yeah, and also their delineation between what congregational leaders are equipped to understand and be able to deal with versus what needs professional help. Right. And it takes wisdom and discernment to know that whether someone needs a listening ear and they need to process what's happening just with someone who is willing to listen and ask them questions versus someone who has a deeper mental health issue that really does need a professional who's been trained in that area. And I'm just such a big fan of not just in the mental health field, but in so many fields, relying on expertise, right? And just Mm -hmm. finding those people who are experts in whatever field to use their gifts, their talents, their abilities for the benefit of the congregation. Yeah. And what a relief it would be for a pastor who realized they don't have to be the therapist Mm -hmm. for their congregants coming to them with real challenges. They can hand off to the expert. So I can imagine that's a relief with all of the other things that they're asked to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, anything that you can take off of their plate, I'm sure they would be (laughs) ecstatic to make that happen. Right. (laughs) Let's cut our pastors a little bit of a break here. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of being able to take things off one's plate, we are now going to share some resources that may be of help to congregational leaders who need to look into support for themselves or for others around mental health. So, Abby, what do you have as a resource for today? It's a resource called Mental Health Gateway, and they do training for pastors and congregational leaders who want to learn about how to best aid those who are dealing with mental illness and mental health challenges in their congregation. So again, that is Mental Health Gateway. And so what form do those resources take, Abby? Are those like blogs or articles? What kind of format will people find information? Well, there's support group training, there's webinars, marriage courses. It looks like it comes in a variety of different forms and formats. Excellent. So that's what I have today. What do you have, Matt? So I found a couple of events coming down the line, and I typically wouldn't do events because 
podcasts kind of live their own life and are kind of out there forever. But I think these might actually make sense. One is called the Church Mental Health Summit 23. And it's listed as October 10th, 2023. But the thing is, if you sign up for it, you get access to on-demand presentations from just an absolute ton of speakers. Some that you in the listening audience might know of are Dr. John Townsend, somebody you may have heard on our podcast before, Marty Sawyers from Full Strength Network, Jamie Otten, who is part of the Spiritual First Aid Organization. Just a ton of names here. And again, they are on-demand presentations. And so not only can you access them on that day, but they also have a bundle where you can access these essentially forever. So these are really good resources, not only for oneself, if you're trying to understand more about mental health, but also teams of people in your congregation or others that may need help. It's presented by Hope Made Strong Spiritual First Aid and Rosemead School of Psychology at Biola University. And so just a lot of really good and well-qualified people. And again, this is specifically focused on the church and mental health. And then there's also the Thrive and Cultivate Summit 23, which again is access to on-demand trainings. And there are five specialized tracks with over 50 sessions. The first one is understanding and identifying mental health issues, like we've talked about today, mental health as ministry, BIPOC slash Asian American mental health, self-care and resilience for church leaders, and trauma and grief. So a lot of different topics and different tracks. Once again, over 50 sessions that you can take a look at. And these are on demand, so they are accessible really whenever it's convenient for you. So again, that is the Thrive and Cultivate Summit 23. And we'll make sure, of course, to put all of the links to these resources in our show notes, along with the things that we talked about with Aaron and Janelle. Those sound like fantastic events, Matt. Yes, they do. So those are some mental health resources that pertain to this episode. But for other resources and more resources related to mental health, go to the crg.org. That's T-H-E-C-R-G.org. And we hope that you find that this podcast is a resource for you. And if you think it would be a good, helpful resource for others, we would love for you to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. But this will help boost us in the algorithms and will help others find the podcast. Also, make sure to follow us wherever you listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you're listening now. And that'll ensure that you never miss an episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. And if you would like to reach out to us, you can do so at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, we want to thank the Lilly Endowment. They make it possible for us to do our work, which includes creating this podcast for you. So this episode was engineered and edited by Jaden Lee. Jaden is the one who makes us continue to sound amazing. Shout out, Jaden. And we also want to do our geographical shout outs, which I'm a little bit surprised, but excited to shout out to the folks listening in Kensington, England, United Kingdom. Whoa. Hey, everybody there in Kensington listening to the podcast. We appreciate you being here. Well, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. So for the Center for Congregations, I am Matt Burke. And I'm Abby Miller. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.